Good morning, church. Thanks for tuning in and allowing us into your living room this morning. Together we are in God's living room, actually, his family room. And I can close my eyes and see you sprawled out there in your jammy pants this morning, just relaxing and kicking back and doing church. I, I pray you're staying connected to us here at Crossroads, connected in prayer and worship and daily through the wonders of technology, which I know very little about. Through gifted people like Mike and Steve and Haley, we can stay connected through our website and Facebook, through our connections page with uh, uh, daily thoughts from Chris and Kurt and Steve and myself and sometimes Izzy. She doesn't say much. And I would say to you graduates this morning, make sure you check out uh, our salute to you on our website. Also, you can check out Chris's Bible studies uh, that she has on Monday night and then the one on Wednesday. And I hear this constantly on the news and everywhere. We're together but apart, but uh, one of these days that's going to come to a close. You know, the leadership here at Crossroads, rest assured, uh, are seeking God's wisdom and guidance and directions in this pandemic. We will keep you informed as as we move forward getting back together. In mid-June, we will meet with some doctors and medical personnel to assess our situation and address safety concerns. Know this, beloved family, you are always on our minds and our hearts. And I want to thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, your prayers and your patience uh, are greatly appreciated. You're a gracious, loving family, and we love and we miss you. When I was up north in Mount Carroll, Illinois, there was a, a man there that I became close to. He was a he helped me. He was one of my elders, and he was the man that would that I have quoted a thousand times when he said one day, he said, Pastor, you know, every, everybody's got a good sermon in them. You've used yours up already. But I, I just want to say to Harlan's family today that uh, we're with you and we're praying with, with you. He is trying to exit this life, and God's going to call him to heaven. And I know it's extremely hard on Janelle and Donetta and Alan and Kerwin. So I just, uh, I just ask that we continue to pray for them and for those in our midst that are struggling and are, are sick. Um, Bill Hegemeyer and Pam, he has COVID-19, and uh, the funeral that I had um, last Saturday for uh, uh, Marilyn Bonert, who also had COVID-19, and I pray for Kathy and her family as well. But let's just pray right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us, and we thank you for the hope that we have in you. But that doesn't uh, annihilate or erase or take away our grief and broken hearts and sometimes anxiety. So I just pray. Uh, for those families that have lost somebody that are in that process. I pray for those with the, with the illness, uh, that you would be close to them, and I know that you will, but more than that, that they're reaching out to you, Lord, in this time of need. We love you, God. I just thank you for all these folks who just ask your blessing upon them today, where we ask these things in the name of Christ. Timeless messages when ideologies collide. Webster says that an ideology is, in noun form, means this. The body of doctrine, myth, belief, etc., that guides an individual, social movement, institution, class, or large group. The number of ideologies in our world are so num- numerous it's staggering. Right now on the American stage is our political scene, two parties, very contrasting ideologies, opposites, if you will. 2020 is a year when these two ideologies collide, culminating in November on Election Day, November 3rd, to be exact, unless 
It's changed and nothing surprises me anymore. Sad fact is that these two ideologies will continue to sling mud and butt heads until Jesus comes back. And I'm sure there's some amens to that. And as we trace history back, we find numerous collisions between ideologies. The collision between Martin Luther and the Catholic Church is a very prime example. Martin Luther took a stand against the most formidable power formidable power of his time, the Roman Catholic Church. He was like the little engine that could, could going up against the entire Union Pacific Railroad. In 1517, Luther called for a debate by nailing his 95 Thesis on the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. This debate, along with his lectures and books, put him on track, a track that ran to Rome. A collision was inevitable. Nobody really stood up against the Pope and the Catholic Church. In April of 1521, the governing council of the Germanic states convened in the city of Worms to confront Luther about his beliefs. When asked if he would repudiate, repudiate his inflammatory statements about the Pope and the Church, he faced his accusers with stalwart resolve and proclaimed loudly, I cannot and I will not recant anything. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Look something like this. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves my conscience is captive to the word of God to go against conscience is neither right nor safe I cannot And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. We saw the same type of resolve in Esther when she decided to stand alone against the most powerful man in Medo-Persia, her husband, the king. If you remember from last time, verse 4, 16 of Esther, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. And the reason she said that, no one, absolutely no one could just go into the king. They had to be summoned. And you would stand at the door, and he would hold his scepter out for you to come. If not, you had to leave, because if you entered, you, you faced death. Such courage is the mortar that martyrs are made of. John Fox's Book of Martyrs, as you read it, it's, um, it's a sad tale of people who died for their faith. Bloody, they were burnt, they were cut, they were thrown to wild beasts. But the fact is, as you read this book, you understand this because of the courage that the Holy Spirit put within him to face that. It is also what cements our convictions so that we, like Luther and Esther, can stand up for our faith even when we have to stand alone. I don't know how long you've been a believer in Jesus Christ, or hopefully you are one, 
But there are times, many times in life, that we stand alone against others, against crowd, whatever. And God can infuse that courage and strength in us to do that. It, perhaps that's what we need in our veins today as we face this pandemic and we see what's going on around us. And now we see in our story a silent yet powerful interlude. Upon Mordecai's challenge, Esther didn't race immediately into the king's presence. Wisely, she waited, making her quest of Mordecai first. The first part is 16. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Mordecai obeyed Esther's command, verse 17. For three days, the Jewish people fasted. And during that time, they calmed their emotions, gained perspective, and placed their problems in the hands of God, just as the prophet Isaiah advises in his book, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired, or not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. From this verse, we learn four things that happen when we wait on God rather than rush into a frenzy of activity. First, we gain new strength, which we will need when the road gets rocky. Second, we get a better perspective, which gives us an eagle's eye view of our circumstances. Third, we store up extra energy, which we can draw upon at a later time. And in the fourth, we deepen our determination to persevere, which wards off weariness. So the bow atop this package of benefits is a sense of invincibility that because we have waited and we've listened to God and not let our emotions run wild, we have listened to his touch and the Holy Spirit in, puts this up in our life that it gives us courage. Great passage of Scripture in Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. God speaking directly to us. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. These are words that we need every day of our lives, especially when certain things come up. Undoubtedly, these benefits of waiting strengthened Esther's resolve during her three-day fast. It was a silent yet powerful interlude in the queen's life. The Lord gave Esther a calm yet wise plan. For three days, Esther has waited on the Lord and gained new strength. Now it is time to test her wings. In this clip we see just an idea of the way that it happened. Then I will read the scripture of how it happened, but at least it kind of gives us perspective of the grandeur of the palace and the power of the king. Let's watch. I leave you on this day, your regent in my absence, Lord Haman, prince of the face. It is my will that each of you obey him in every way exactly as you would regard your king.
summon she comes before the king. She does. Is protocol not broken? Yes, protocol has been broken. Ah! scepter she can come now here is how scripture tells the story esther 5 1 through 3 now it came about on the third day that esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms and the king was sitting on his royal throne in her throne room opposite the entrance to the palace and it happened when the king saw esther the queen standing in the court she obtained favor in his sight and the king extended to esther the golden scepter which was in his hand So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it will be given to you. So during times of prayer and fasting and waiting, God prepares not only our hearts, but the hearts of those who oppose us. Even those who are sometimes unpredictable and hostile. We see how softened the king's heart heart is toward Esther in verse 2. She obtained favor in his sight. In verse 3, he asked, what is troubling you? Calmly, Esther unfolds the first step of her clever plan, verse 4. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now notice Esther's self-control and lack of drama. She doesn't spill out what's troubling her. She doesn't point a finger at Haman and ask for his head. She doesn't play on the king's emotions and manipulate him into action. She doesn't get into a frenzy, dissolve into tears, or act in haste. Instead, she sidesteps the question and issues an invitation. Notice also that she has planned the banquet for that day, but wait. When would she have had time to plan a banquet for such a party? She did it during her three days of fasting. You see, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we become inert and silent. Even if we don't immerse ourselves in activity, we can still plan and prepare. So when the table is set and the moment is right, the issue of Esther's request comes up again. Verses 5 through 8. Then the king said, 
Bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And as they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What's your petition for it shall be granted to you? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. So Esther answered and said, My petition and my request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I shall prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. So instead of answering the king's question, Esther invites him and Haman to yet another banquet. Here the queen is a perfect example of peace and patience. She doesn't panic because her confidence is not her own. Her waiting has produced in her an inner strength, that sense of invincibility invincibility we read about in Isaiah. He's calmed her heart. He's given her instructions. He has whispered in her ear and to her heart, regardless of what happens, you're mine in my hands and it's going to be okay. And now we see a proud and sinister response. Suddenly, the spotlight of the story turns on to Haman, the wicked official whose plan is to exterminate all the Jews. Notice his anger and arrogance in the following verses. And sad to say, we all know people like this. Verses 9 through 12. Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gain, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house, sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons, every instance where the king had magnified him, and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, Even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she has prepared, and tomorrow also I am invaded by, invited by her with the king. It's easy to see what Haman's priorities were, the glory of his riches, the number of his sons, and the pride of his promotions. What arrogance. <laughs> sort of those deals of patting himself on the back. He stands there preening himself like a peacock spreading its iridescent feathers for all to admire. When a person is this self-absorbed, the focus is not on all those who bow down to him, but on the one who refuses to. That's why Mordecai grated on him so. Verse 13. Yet all this does not satisfy, satisfy me every time I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. We see how flustered Haman was. His wife came up with a solution that would keep Mordecai from spoiling her husband's dinner with the king. God bless wives that come up with solutions. Verse 14, Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. So in his mind... Having the king's ring, the king giving him all that power to come up with that edict that they sent out to 127 provinces that on a certain day, in a certain month, that every Jew would be murdered and all of their possessions taken in. So that's what he was on his mind and his heart 
as he went to the banquet. Now, here's some direct and timely advice for us to apply to our lives. So woven into the fabric of this story today are four threads of advice. Let's unravel them one by one and knit them kind of into our lives. First, when preparing for an unprecedented event, wait on the Lord before getting involved. I don't know about you, but this has caused me problems. Without setting and waiting and praying, I just jump in or react immediately, and usually it always doesn't turn out so good. Second, when dealing with an unpredictable person, count on the Lord to open the doors. The victory is God's, it's not yours. And we have seen in Scripture over and over again that God can deal with ungodly people. So we have to count on God to open the doors. The Holy Spirit is the one that opened doors. You know, it's, the, it's when we witness to people about the Lord. The Holy Spirit prompts us. He knocks on our heart's door. He gives us the words to say. He opens the door for us to do that. Third, when working through an unpleasant situation, trust the Lord for enduring patience. That's not one of my qualities, but we need it. And then fourth, when standing against an unprincipled enemy, ask the Lord for invincible courage, the courage to stand in the gap for God. So I don't know if you're old enough to remember cliffhangers, the old-time serials on the silent screen. And even those of you that watch soap operas, we want to see what happens next. It, it baits us. It brings us in. I have to tell you a, a funny story about my father, which I probably told you numerous times. He was always giving women a hard time for watching soap operas. And then Dallas came on. And if you were at his house, he'd either make you be quiet or leave because he, he, had, he had to watch Dallas and Man, I, I give him such a hard time. I said, man, Dad, this is a soap opera. Oh, it's not a soap opera. It's not. So, but you know what? You want to see You want to see what happens next. Mordecai is about to be t- tied to the railroad track. That's in, in Mighty Mouse. That was part of the deal with uh, Oil Can Harry when he tied the, the, the woman. I don't remember the female mouse and tired of the track. And Mighty Mouse had to save her. Only Esther can save him. But will she rescue him in time? Will she thwart Haman's insidious plot to rid the empire of all Jewish people? So at the risk of sounding melodramatic, all we can say is this. Tune in next time, and we'll finish this part uh, next week. But it's up to you and I right now. So I ask you this question. Are you facing an unprecedented event in your life? Are you at a critical junction where you need to decide or act or speak? If you are, try waiting before you do. Seek the Lord's face for till you get peace, till you finally know what you really need to do. And I'd ask you to look up the following verses on waiting. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. Psalm 37, 34. Isaiah 26, 8. And Lamentations 3, 25 through 26. And I know you can't write those down. So tomorrow on, on our daily connection in the hope section where I make a, a little video where we've all made them every day, I will list these scriptures so you will have them. Are you presently dealing with an unpredictable person? Here's some verses that might help you count on the Lord to open your hearts and doors. Psalm 27, 1 through 3, Proverbs 16, 7, 21, 1, and Matthew 10, 28 through 33. And again, rest assured, I will give these to you tomorrow. Are you working through an unpleasant situation? 
Or are you having trouble trusting the Lord for enduring patience? If so, maybe these verses will help. Job 13, 15, 23, 10, James 1, 2, and 3, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And are you standing against an unprincipled enemy? Are your knees knocking for fear of what might happen to you? What you need is invincible courage. See if these verses don't help. 1 Samuel 17, 45, 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17, Psalm 18, 1 through 3, and Romans 8, 8, 31. Well, I do believe maybe some of us do need courage in this time that we're in to face what's going on. I know we'd like to rationalize it away, but it cannot be uh, as we see the death toll continue to rise. Maybe not so much in this area. We Maybe we're sheltered to that degree, but still it's there. And it, it, with the cases rising in the counties uh, around us and even Sullivan County, so... Take heart and take hope, my friends. Continue to pray and stay close to God and let us stay close to each other. Lord, once again, I'd ask your blessing upon these folks. If there's any fear or anxiety in their heart, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you might remove that now as they cling to you and hope in you. Lord, we thank you for being such a great father and for loving us and for hanging out with us 24-7. Even when nobody else wants to, you're always there and we thank you for that. So bless these people. I ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.